Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Um, I'm the discipleship pastor here at Broadway, Joe Patterson. And uh, if this is your first time today, join us in worship, especially welcome to you. Um, and uh, hope to meet with you soon. Um, and for others, good to see you today. Um, pastor Adam is away, and this is my opportunity to share with you a little bit today as we're pressing play on our summer. And um, I have been given the responsibility to talk to you today about holy days, holy celebrations or holidays, as Pastor Adam talked about in that video. And as I was reflecting upon that, I was thinking about um, the, the, the year 2020, um, as <laughs> some of us are still thinking about, aren't we, a little bit. And I, as I was thinking about that, it, 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 I was thinking about how ordinary that time became for many of us. And when I speak of that, I mean, we had plenty of questions and plenty of the unfamiliar, but then like, when all the dust was kind of settling, every day started to kind of feel like we were living over and over the movie Groundhog Day a little bit. Raise your hand if you know what I'm kind of talking about here. You know, I think what I talked about to some folks during that time was every day, every day felt like a Saturday. <laughs> and this kind of felt like a Saturday for some of us. And, um, you know, outside of those those days on, on Sunday when, you know, our, our distributed church would gather for online worship or my family would gather for online worship, it was, it was kind of difficult to figure out anything to get amped up about. And I think every one of us here this morning, because of the pandemic, probably have a pretty good understanding of just how discouraging that kind of routine of the ordinary was, is, or can be. It's hard because finding hope in the midst of, of those realities, it's possible, but it can be pretty challenging. Alas, even in the midst of that ordinary last summer, <laughs> I had something in my back pocket. I had something in my back pocket that was pandemic proof, all right? I knew there was an event coming up in the midst of my summer, no matter how hard times got during a pandemic, that it was gonna happen. It was gonna happen. Me and some guys, we do this annual thing and it matters that much to us that we were gonna figure out a way to safely make this happen. And this is what this is. During the month of August, the first weekend of August, my family and those that know Joe Patterson really well know the first weekend of August Brady Patterson's sitting right here and he knows I am not available that weekend, ever. Don't ask. Travel baseball, nope, not going. Uh, anything else, not going, I'm out. It's non-negotiable. Everything else in my life is non-negotiable. But this weekend, this weekend, <laughs> this weekend is holy. This weekend is holy to me and 11 other guys who loved this crazy spectacle called fantasy football. Now, some of you are out there like, oh my goodness, what in the world are you talking about? So if you're unaware of this, uh, this is really simple. With an agreed upon set of rules, individuals have franchises and we select National Football League players and they're placed on our teams. And we score based on their performance on a Sunday. If they don't score on a Sunday, that's bad. That means that I'm going to lose. I don't like those Sundays. Um, 
My team is called the Unfrozen Cavemen. It's based upon one of my favorite uh, Saturday Night Live characters from uh, the 1990s called the Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer, played by the comedian Phil Hartman. Anybody remember the Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer? Yes, yes, he's just a simple lawyer, yeah. Um, in, my, in my league, the cavemen are competing against teams called the Plano Polecats, the Junkyard Dogs, the Gaudy Geckos, the Rubber City, not the Rubber, the River City Rubber Ducks, the Amish Electricians, and my personal favorite, the Farmington Fire Ants. And through these 11 guys, I am connected year-round, and, and they may be as far north as Louisville, as far west as Princeton, Kentucky, and as far south as, as Murphy, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And, um, but we, we, always, we always are gathering um, somehow, whether it be via text, via messenger, via um, life. And we laugh, we laugh a lot, we disagree a lot. As a matter of fact, we, uh, we, we don't agree on everything. And we disagree a lot, a lot, a lot. Yet we choose each other anyway. We know each other's families well. Um, we've learned vulnerability. Um, they know my ugly places. I know their ugly places. We've cried much. I've personally performed some of their weddings, attended some of their weddings. I've blessed their babies. I, I've, I've seen their, their families grow and mature together. So together, these 12 guys, we've watched our lives change while not permitting something else to change. That first weekend in August for 20 years. And there actually may be times that I don't talk to others as much, but just because we have this annual encounter planned, the connective relational glue is, is always active and available to us. You know, we've had baby due dates, careers, bad news, good news, whatever, but we all navigate it, all 12 of us. And why do we do that? We do that because we together have found a shared experience to celebrate annually, and we've captured it for holy. This summer, we're exploring how to press play uh, in our lives, and, and this weekend on the calendar, we, we get this right, don't we? We, we get the, uh, the apple pie recipe out, right? And we get the, the, the barbecue sauce recipe out of, out of the cabinet, and we, we put it to good use, and we gather, don't we? We gather and we, we celebrate on this, this weekend called Independence Day. We have dates like this on our calendar. A couple weeks ago, we, we had another date like this. On, it was just an ordinary day, June 20th, and it was, it was Juneteenth, and it was celebrated by so many because it was a powerful remembrance of the releasing of the final slaves in the United States from a life of captivity to a life of freedom, and that was a big deal. Again, we found that day, for some, as, as finding the potential for something meaningful, life-giving and relational. What we find in my first weekend of August annually, or Independence Day, or Juneteenth, is much more than just a calendared event, much more than just that date on a calendar. In these moments, we find powerful ingredients that God can offer his blessing to. And when we can activate and find his activity and blessing in these kinds of events, we might be experiencing something called a holiday.
You know, it's so easy to look at a calendar and get overwhelmed with all these dates. I mean, there's so many options. There's so many celebrations on that calendar. And it seems like new options are thrown on there all the time. And there's potential for holy in all of them. But the question for each one of us today is, which one or ones do we best capture and lean into to activate the potential for God's presence? What touches our soul? What impacts us individually the most? What is God up to within me? What is my personal missing link between God and others? These are some questions that may lead to the holy life celebrations that we can encounter. Also, just a calendar doesn't necessarily get to dictate to us what holy is to us. It's likely dictated to us by the depths of our soul. The space is deep within each of us and collectively, individually, that tell us what is meaningful, what is sacred, and what is important. And days like these don't normally just manufacture themselves. And nine times out of 10, we, used to prob- we, used to, we, we probably have to experience it first before we know it's holy. We gotta stay curious for it. We don't know, but we don't know. And if we're not looking, we're not longing or seeking for holy things, we can miss some holy things. In our rich church tradition, we've always held Sabbath to the standard of holy because we shared this special connection between God's creative work in us and in our work. On the seventh day of creation, God rested, so we re- On the seventh day, we rested. We, we worshiped. We took a break. In God's connection to the Hebrew people, he voiced through these 10 commandments, one of which stated this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days God made heaven, earth, and sea, and everything in them. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as a holy day. You see, in the Sabbath, God not only made it possible to experience holy, but he gave an example of what holy can be like. So this summer... Our big audacious press play question might be, the question we might wanna be wrestling with is, if in God's big creative plan, he set apart this day, one day per week, as holy, is it possible that there might be days or events like that for us beyond Sunday that impact our lives for holy? These moments that are set apart, these moments that are regular, annual, Events that are deemed non-negotiable because they are that life-giving to us. These distinctive flashes of time that God can bless. These events that get hardwired into all of our planning and living because they matter that much to us. The answer is yes. Because anything good and anything that grows life carries God's potential for holy. In our scripture today that Martha read for us, um, we find the story of the Hebrew people crashing into a reminder of the law of Moses. And through that collision, they all find a holy day. According to the books of Nehemiah and Ezra, the Jews in Jerusalem had been exiled and distributed because of the conquest of Babylon. 
and Nebuchadnezzar II. The entire kingdom of Judah had fallen. The whole area had been crushed. And they had been distributed either as captives or they had had exiled for safety and sanctuary in other lands. Because of this, the people of Jerusalem not only had lost their identity, but they had lost their connection to God. There was no temple for them to gather at. There was no place for them to, to connect to God. We know that both Nehemiah and Ezra were, were big contributors to the Jewish people recovering that identity that they had, their community pride, and their connection to God. Nehemiah, with the blessing of Cyrus of Persia, was instrumental in organizing this group, this, this work group, to, to rebuild the safety protective wall around the city of Jerusalem in 52 days. 52 days. It was, it's remarkable, this coordinated effort. But during the time of exile, like I said, the Israelites had no way of connecting with each other about God. No temple, no lead voice, differing opinions. They had to have an opportunity to reconnect to God. And as the wall was completed and the exiled Jewish folks were settled back into Jerusalem, Ezra was summoned to present and help interpret the law. And this would be a watershed moment in the recovery of the Israelites. It says this in Nehemiah 8. And all the people gathered as one person at the public square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which God had given to Israel. Then Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the public square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. The Jewish people were hungry that morning, and Ezra knew that. He had their attention. The Hebrews were still licking their wounds. In their exile, their lives had been struggling for hope and for meaning, and his voice held a key to encouraging what had been missing inside their spirit together. Then Ezra opened the book, in verse five, six. Then Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. With the raising of their hands, then they kneeled down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Israelites found themselves surrounded with others, longing for the same longings, moved by the same truth, reminded by the same powerful reminders and changed by a powerful moment. They could look around, look at each other, and see who they were again. This is the day. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go, eat, the festival foods, drink the sweet drinks, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
a holy day had been established because of the game-changing moment that the Israelites experienced together. Through the hearing of the law, they were able to be restored and mark a day as holy by creating these temporary dwellings or booths throughout the city of Jerusalem. And they did this as a reminder that they were once exiled and no longer were because of the faithfulness of God. The Israelites had been crippled by the trauma of exile, but they were able to recapture the holy of their life, the holy of their connection to God in this moment. You see, what we might call camping, the Israelites started calling Rosh Hashanah, and they do this every year, and they have since ancient times as a reminder that they were distributed, they were exiled, they were disconnected from God, but now they were reconnected. So maybe this story, this Hebrew story, strikes you as a confirmation of these types of days or events you have in your life. Or maybe you find yourself longing for, for more of that, more of those types of experiences in your life. No matter where you are in that question today, God wants to cultivate more and more and more of these in your life. And why does he want to do that? He wants to do that because holy days magnify who God is. They make him more famous, and they foster God's kingdom-building relational pathways to humanity. So how do we identify them? Or maybe how do, how do they identify us? Let's start with a couple clues here that might help us in our quest for holy days today. Um, holy days, they always provide potential for life. They always provide potential for life. They always refill us. They always restore us. If there's a moment that you consider holy that you're experiencing and, and, and you, you are, your cup is empty completely, you're not probably experiencing a holy day. You're probably experiencing exhaustion. Those are two different things, okay? Two different things. Number two, holy days always require us to get out of the way. When we allow our brokenness and our need for control and our need for codependency and relationships to guide that kind of day, it's very possible that we can miss the potential for holy in them. And finally, Holy Days also recognize God's potential and power to be active in all people, in all places, in all times. If we, don't recognize, if we don't recognize God's character in these moments, we miss the opportunity to capture them for holy. So if we know some clues about what Holy Days are not, what can we put our head on a swivel for and look for in confirming those or finding those holy moments in our life? Well, the first thing is um, to look for your people. Look for your people. Holy days are most likely not found in a relational vacuum. They are found close by to those you call your friends and family. While the holy definitely can be experienced in a powerful way alone, the holy scriptures tell us time and time and time again that God's creative intention was for our lives to be experienced with him in community together. Shared appreciation for the holy 
just offers our individual faith journeys a different kind of fuel, a different kind of fruit than when we experience these things alone. So look for your people. Next, look for joy. The antithesis of celebration is participating in these things without joy. This is why if we're not in a regular rhythm of exercise, we probably don't experience that as a holy moment, right? Probably don't do that. And this is also the reason why when we just look at a bunch of dates on a calendar, the calendar doesn't get to dictate to us what's holy, right? Our soul's longing for joyful celebration alongside of God, alongside of others. That's what should dictate what's holy to us. In the book, Every Moment Holy, it's a book of prayers and liturgies and and expressions of life with God. There's an entry titled, A Liturgy for Feasting with Friends. Kind of something you might look to before you get together with some friends. And there's some helpful words in this uh, entry that I thought I'd share today. It says this, to gather joyfully is indeed a serious affair for celebrating and all enjoyments gratefully taken at their hearts or acts of war. And in celebrating, we declare that evil and death, suffering and loss, sorrow and tears will not have the final word. But the joy of fellowship and welcome and comfort of friends, now and old, and the celebration of our blessings through conversation and laughter are true evidences of things eternal and are the first fruits that great glad joy that is to come and that will be unending. You see, the initial response of the Israelites to Nehemiah and Ezra was guilt, remorse. What have we done? Weeping. But their instructions were to do something else. Don't cry. Celebrate. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your refuge. I'm reminded of two, two T-shirts, and they, uh, they kind of have a different message, but they, also, they both kind of give a different attitude about how you could face uh, life. You know, one is kind of, um, there, there's potential for holding both of these, for sure, but this one looks more like exercise to me over here. You know, this one over here, it appears prepared to find joy and to be um, encouraged by joy in the holy in a moment. This one looks prepared to look for, to find and embrace joy. So, look for your people, look for joy, and look for what God is doing in you and around you. If we want more holy experiences in our life, we have to stay curious for them. It's just not in God's character to stay idle when we stay curious after his possibilities. So this is the moment where I kind of make the connections between holy and fantasy football for some of you. You've been sitting there thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Well, let me tell you, I I haven't told you the complete story here. And the the completion of the story is important because when my wife, Marie, and I moved here in 20, I mean, in in 2001, 
of course, we, we really didn't know anybody here, and we, we needed our people. I needed some people. I needed a tribe, and, and I have found so much of that in so many of you here at Broadway. We as a family have. Our kids have, and we are grateful for that. Within my life as a, as a therapist before I, industry, I entered ministry life, I met a, a gentleman, a, a really dear friend by the name of Jeff Kelton. And Jeff connected me to 10 other guys that shared in this love for fantasy football. And, and I got invited to this weekend, um, August in 2002, and, and I never left. And we captured this weekend, we decided we were gonna set aside that weekend for so many years, and, and I, I didn't fully understand why until a couple years ago. You see, in the year 2019, our league had kind of a conflict that we had to navigate couldn't get out of, so it forced us to move our annual holy day to the weekend prior. That particular day was July 27th, 2019, and that particular holy day with my friends began just like most of our annual celebrations that we, of the past, that we celebrated with. That was until something happened, and um, during our lunch break, I was sitting at uh, Blaze Pizza with some of my friends, and I received a phone call from my friend, Pastor Adam Schurz. And uh, on the other line, he was, he was crying uncontrollably. And I, so much so, I couldn't understand what he was saying. And eventually, I understood that, that Adam was calling to tell me that, that our friend um, and partner in ministry, uh, Megan Davidson, had died in a tragic accident. And in that moment, I left my holy fantasy football moment for a hard moment. How were we going to care for this church, this community, these broken hearts, when we as a staff were going to be so devastated ourselves? And well, there are many in this room and many in this church and many in this community that loved us well. And um, Loved us well so much in, to recover from that loss and still are recovering from that loss in many, many ways. But I wanna tell you this morning, those 11 fancy football guys in no particular order, Jeff Kelton, Chris Lemley, Gary Wantland, Travis Wantland, Jeremy Munahan, Alan Whittinghill, Aaron McClung, Jeff Riley, Brad Hinton, and the brothers, Brad and Blake Hornell. Those are the guys that made sure I get up out of bed in the morning when I didn't feel like I could. Those are the guys that made sure I had a listening ear to voice my grief when I was listening to so many others' grief. Those 11 guys prayed their guts out for this church when we had no strength or no words to pray. They tended to meet in the most challenging moment, one of the most challenging moments I've ever experienced in life. When I had no strength to tend for myself and I'll never forget it. It would have been very easy for me to just leave that day, to leave that moment on Saturday, July 27th, 2019 and try to deal with that myself just just gather myself and, and try and deal with it. But 
these 11 guys wouldn't let me do it. They wouldn't let me. If my holy fantasy football day relationships were ever in doubt of losing my curiosity, losing my focus, losing my participation, this moment secured the space in my soul for life. God acted and continues to act in and through me because of these 11 guys, because we choose this silly, ordinary weekend at the beginning of August for holy. So quickly, look for your people, look for joy, look for what God is doing in and around you, and finally, this one's kind of long, look for something worth remembering that differs from the ordinary or needs to be rescued from the ordinary. While everything is possible in the ordinary, we need to look for holy and impactful memories. This is the reason Jesus said at the Last Supper, do this in remembrance of me. And we, we all find the value in repeating memorable experiences. And Ezra, Nehemiah encouraged the Israelites to never forget that they were no longer exiles. God delights when we identify the incredible, the majestic, the only possible because of God's stuff, that stuff that God does in us and around us stuff, when we celebrate it over and over and over and over and over and over again, he delights in that. That is holy. And we have so many influences that seek to usher the ordinary back into our holy memories. Pandemics, anxieties, worries, concerns, our physical mental health. These can push the mundane and the ordinary into our sense of holy very quickly. We gotta push against the ordinary by honoring these holy memories well. There's so many times we come into this space to Holy Communion on a very ordinary Sunday, easily distracted by the stressors or the thoughts or the next thing or things we gotta do. Yet every time we come to this table, because God crafted this table, because he started this gathering, if we could just press pause on all the noise, we can engage in a powerful, holy moment of remembrance. Remembering his love, his wisdom for our journey, his promise of redemption, his unwavering faithfulness, his gentle compassion, his rescuing power, his story of sacrifice his creative character of always making new things, his never-ending mighty possibilities, those, those, my friend, my friends, are things worth rescuing from the ordinary in this moment as we prepare to participate once again in Holy Communion this morning. And as we prepare to do that, I'm gonna, we're gonna do something a little different today um, in these next few moments, I want to invite you to close your eyes and quiet your hearts as we pray, prayerfully prepare ourselves 
for the time we're going to come together for Holy Communion. An opportunity to press pause in all the noise. An opportunity to ask God to quiet our innermost spiritual places this morning so we can have a holy moment with him. Father God, activate the holy within us. Guide us to look for and to our people today through this time of Holy Communion. And for those that feel very alone and unseen in this moment, hold these firm in your presence right now. May we galvanize the power of each other and you and us, Jesus, in this holy preparation. Overwhelm us with the joy that accompanies your holiness this morning, no matter our circumstances, and no matter how challenging those circumstances might seem, no matter what hurt, no matter what discouragement or confusion we might be facing. Break through all of it, Savior God, one more time. Trigger the awareness within us, Heavenly Father, for what you are seeking to do in us and around us this morning. More of you, less of us. May your Holy Spirit be magnified within us so this shared experience of communion impacts us to our innermost being as holy. Prompt the power of our holy, of our holy memories this morning, past, current, and future so that our souls might fully and without hesitation, do this in remembrance of me. And as we open our 